the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. lights himself on fire in Vietnam. I'm watching our first black and white television. A monk burns himself to death in Vietnam and I get the American... Welcome to the Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 95 and our guest is Nathan Bell. Nathan Bell is a singer and songwriter whose latest record, Red, White, and American Blues, It Can Happen Here, is available everywhere. Red, White, and American Blues is a powerhouse record, y'all. I was so excited to have this conversation, and we ended up covering a ton of ground. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity and so excited for y'all to hear this one. Everyone, my conversation with Nathan Bell. Better. I think that's better. That's better. Is that better? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. It's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin that caused the problem. Yeah, you're being you're being sabotaged by the Bitcoin. Um, what the guy called them uh, cosplay uh, libertarians. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Yeah, it was it was in my favorite news source, The Guardian, today, and I about went on the ground. I thought, man, that's as good as it gets. That's so funny. I did see some headline about Bitcoin, so that's probably it. That's probably it. Like, good so- article, too, because it's sort of, the article is sort of wistful. It's like, well, this is going to be around no matter what we do, but Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, some things it's, I think, <laughs> I don't have as much of a problem accepting that one. You know, I'm like, ah, fuck, it's going to be around, I guess. <laughs> There's some things that I'm worried about being around, like fascism, that you dive into quite a bit on this record. Uh, <laughs> That's one. It's a nice segue. About. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect uh, segue into the the, the record. Um, and before we when, when we had to cut off there, uh, we were talking about just how some of these songs kind of came along, um, you know, post 2015 or during that time. Um, and some of them, I mean, when I lit, when I think about 2019, when these when they were recorded. And I think about like it, what it, what it did for me was it it kind of it forced me to think about the tension that was in the air at that moment, and not that things are chill now, but like the tension you capture. Oh, yeah. The record captures the tension of the moment so intensely. I appreciate that, man. I, I don't know if it was intentional, but it's certainly because of the material and when it was recorded and what was going on. It you know, and the sound of it. Um, I got to give Frank Swart credit for this. He um. I said to him, I said, you're not going to be able to recreate the sound of it or people might not even notice it, but I really want that. Let it bleed. Give me shelter vibe to this thing. I don't want, I want bleed and I want dirt and I want it to come out sounding like one foot on a tightrope and one foot on the deck of a boat. Mm. And he did it. 
So, I mean, his, his production in there is just beautiful sound wise. And, and um, there's not that many players on it. There's a, there's me on acoustic and harmonica and vocal and Frank plays like banjo electric and bass. And then we got John Dedrick from Nashville playing keyboards. And of course we have the singers. Um, and uh, so it's really pretty stripped down record in the, in the sense of, you know, uh, wanting to leave it sounding a little bit like it could be reproduced by a, a four piece, an angry four piece. Well, and the fact that it's stripped down, I think adds to what I was talking about, about the timelessness of it, you know, and Thank you. like the, certainly the writing is there and the writing, um, the writing is timeless. And again, the unfortunate timelessness of a lot of it, unfortunate um, timelessness. but, uh, but I think the, certainly the production adds to that. It's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful record, Nathan. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear that. One of the songs you know. that, that really, man, now it's coming again. I'm hearing myself. Damn. Check, 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 check. Dude, I think I think that was on my end. I think you just did that for nothing. I I'm gonna do it anyway. I think I think I think I figured it out. But I can hear better that way, so hold on. Okay, cool. I'm such a dumbass. That's okay, man. It's part of sound. Yeah. The fact that you admitted it means you're one of the rare guys. It's a real sound man. <laughs> yeah. Real sound man. That's what they call me. Um. <laughs> you're the, you're yeah. the first, you're, you're probably the first musician to ever show up to an interview with me early. And now, and I'm glad you did. Cause now we've got to figure this out. I work for a living. I know how to do this. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's try for a couple minutes. It may have actually, okay. I'm sorry that it doesn't sound that. All right, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Um, so are you not getting enough volume on my end? No, the volume's great. There's like, now it sounds right. This moment sounds really good. But for a second, okay. there, I was getting static when you put the, the ear pods in. But that now, could have been in. Yeah, I don't know what that would be about. Yeah. Are you getting it now? No, now everything sounds good. Okay, cool. Let's see what all we can right. do. Okay, so speaking of wrong man for the job, I'm not a sound man by any means, obviously. And that's that's the, the kind of the entry point, that song that I wanted to talk about. Um, it's one of the few, maybe the only one, I think there may, might be one other song, uh, just a couple other songs that don't have subtitles. Almost all of them have subtitles. But, they do. Um, I did not even thought about that. I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions for you, is, um, is if you did that on purpose. Did I leave it as a song with no subtitles? Actually, I did because... Actually, I made a bunch of author notes, author's notes about this for my um, radio guy in England. Cool. And because he wanted to know, you know, what was I thinking with the songs? Because he was getting these questions back about where they come from. And I generally tend to, to think that whatever an author says about their stuff is wrong, including me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, once you put it out in the world, it's there. It's the interpretation of the listener. And they can just miss it completely if what you were trying to do, or they can pick up something you weren't trying to do that's in there. You got to give the listener credit for being intelligent enough to, to hear the song the way they need to. And so I didn't want to do this, but I ended up doing it. And I kept it kind of tight. And underneath Wrong Man for the Job, I wrote, me, any right winger, your chosen deity, but you, you're the right man for the job. And, and so, yeah, in the Wrong Man for the Job, I didn't want to put anything in there to lead the listener at all. Wow. Because, you know, they don't what people don't know is they don't know what president I'm talking about. They assume Trump. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know if I'm an atheist or I just am pissed off about the way people talk about God. 
right? The, the first line is basically, I'm a lousy misogynist dude. Am I really? You know, and of course, the only one in there that's just clear is that I'm wealthy and I'm not giving you any money. That's easy. <laughs> right. But but the others have some the others have for as utterly, you know, uh, to the point as they are, there's some room for interpretation. You know, I I haven't I haven't had a president in my lifetime that I really, really, really thought. Was everybody's president. Uh-huh. You know, I've had I've admired certain people for certain things uh-huh. but in my lifetime has the president ever been the president of the entire united states and i would argue that possibly lyndon baines johnson was the first, only one to do that partly because he was a cantankerous bastard and so if he thought something was right and had to be done you know he went forward whether they liked him or not and uh, you know it's you start talking about presidents you get into a deep thing but when I did wrong for him for the job, it was definitely Trump in my, you know, in the foreground because he's the wrong man for every job. I mean, he's, I worked in the hotel industry in Boston in the early eighties. We already knew he was a shyster and a con man in the eighties, you know, but he's the logical extension of Reagan. So I guess we got where we were going. Well, I, you know, the, of course I thought you're talking about Trump as well, but also I was thinking about how, and again, what I love, one of the things I love about this record, the most, it is the thing I love about this record the most is that it, for, for whatever reason, for several reasons, it made me self-reflective, um, about Hmm. my my own political beliefs, about my own, um, my own, uh, feelings about mortality, which is, these are things that I'm constantly thinking about anyway, please don't misunderstand me. Like if if everybody listening to the show is like, dude, whatever you talk about this every episode, but I think this one brings it out and, and you, you are able to express the things that I'm feeling in such a way that it made me even more self-reflective than I think I normally am listening to great art that I love. And with this, this song took me to a specific place immediately. It took, That's interesting. It took me to a conversation I was having with my buddy right after the uh, Billy Billy Blanks, Billy Bass, whatever that guy's name was, where that where Trump said the grab him by the pussy comment. And oh yeah, the the, that, the 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 class, the cream of Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that it took me right to the moment that that happened, and I was talking to my my buddy, who is one of the few true like still on board with Trump people that I that I can be around, you know. Um, and, and he's good for me because he forces me to go like, how is this man who otherwise is such a good person still in yeah. the, this cult? And, uh, I, I can't just dismiss him. You know, I have to be right, reflective sure. about it sure. and it's really healthy for me. So anyway, I remember that moment and this song just took me right there where he, he <laughs> I, I said to him, I was like, dude, seriously, like everything aside, this guy, you think that character should be president? Like, forget everything. Just take that one yeah. moment, you know? And he said to me, he's like, man, in college, man, we used to say sh- all kinds of stupid shit. And I was like, yeah, but in college, I was not qualified to be president of the United States. Like, how is this not so clear to you? And I, th- this, that show, those kinds of moments showed up a lot in listening to this record. And specifically that particular song, the self awareness of it right like i'm probably not the right man for a lot of different jobs but this motherfucker (laughs) well that's an interesting way to put it because you know there's this whole thing and i don't know if you guys did it when you were younger it it doesn't translate well um but there used to be kind of a uh you know a way of saying that you were just not worthy of somebody by saying oh of course they'd sleep 
it was almost like self-deprecating. It was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, she'd sleep with me, but she wouldn't. And you knew it, right? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of your way of saying to your friends, I'm just a schmuck. That's not what Trump did. What Trump did was, and I'm talking about 19-year-old schmucks. I'm not talking about grown men who figure this shit out. Right. What Trump did was acquisitional, and that's who he is. Yeah. Everything belongs to him. I mean, my theory is that if I had if I had to bet money, my theory is that he's willing to do the cartel thing of sending you pictures of your family playing in the front yard and ten thousand dollars. So what do you want? You want the ten thousand bucks, or you want me to know where your family lives? And I feel like that he's that bad a guy. And I'm I mean I'm I honestly think he's one of the most dangerous men ever born because I don't think that there's anything he thinks is out of bounds to get something that makes him feel better than his dad ever let him feel, you know? So he's the wrong man for every goddamn job, unless he has some epiphany and that epiphany doesn't happen for non-reflective people. You know, the only way he gets an epiphany is Mike Tyson style. He goes to jail for 12 years for doing something incredibly stupid and finds out while he's in jail that he's not the guy he thought he was. And, you know, Tyson's still probably not the guy for the job either, <laughs> but he's a lot, he's a lot closer than he was. It's clear. Right. Yeah. And everybody, and some of those guys, like with him, you know, a lot of times the thing that lifts them out is a belief in something that, you know, something else that, you know, being a Muslim, being a Christian and being a, finding something, finding a, you know, you know, going to Mexico and, 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 and doing some kind of jungle ritual. But uh. that's just, a, that just replaces, right. That's a replacement. And, but Trump's incapable of that as far as I can tell. He doesn't, he's not interested. He's just not interested. He yeah. he's only wants one thing. And he found a bunch of those, those embarrassingly cowardly white men to tell him. And a few really stupid and embarrassing coward, not white, not white people, but not yeah. many. No, not many. That so yeah, me- no. So I, that that conversation, I live in the reddest red. So yeah, I yeah. I have conversations with people that I think very highly of. And I'm just like, you vote a Republican. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think there were times when I, I, I promised myself, I wouldn't just preach to the choir this whole, this whole conversation, but the, I think there are times when I like, um, when, you know, if I, if it was a Paul Ryan Republican, right. I, I are a Mitt Romney Republican. I'd be like, yeah. okay, I don't agree, <laughs> you know, and I don't like yeah, that but, fucker, but it's just a different thing. You know, it's a different breed. I was just talking well, to a, a guy last yeah. night about that. Well, it is a different breed, but the other thing is that breed was pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget that Reagan let tens of thousands and maybe more young gay men die yeah. because he, he was in, because he was in, thrall to a bunch of people who quite frankly don't don't really deserve their space on this earth and you know you have a responsibility when you're born and your one life you've got not to damage other people mm-hmm. and we all damage people going through life by making mistakes but i'm not talking about being rude or crude or stupid or or insensitive or not noticing somebody you love's birthday by accident or so i'm talking about yeah. not harming people and this whole republican thing since since Reagan, since Gingrich, since Ryan, since Cantor, they are happy to harm people. And in pursuit of, I think, money, I don't think anything else is on this on the table. Mm. I don't think they actually have a philosophy. 
which is why they eventually lose. The reason they eventually lose is you have to have a philosophy because mm-hmm. if you're going to get in the ring, you're going to get hit. Mm-hmm. And the only guys who win in the ring are the guys who know how to get hit, but they believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no great boxer out there who can, who only fights, you know, ladies in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have to, you have to go do your thing. And these guys are like, they're like that kid in high school shoots his mouth off for three years and then the small guy hits him in the head and that's the end of it. Yeah. You know, and I don't like to go toward violence, but they believe that the, that the fear of violence that, that people have and the nervousness that people on the preaching to the choir side, and there's a reason that that choir exists. We don't want violence. They may deserve it, but we don't want it. You know, we don't want to be, I'm half Jewish. My grandfather came here from the Ukraine and he's had, and he was part Armenian. So I'm Armenian and Jewish on one side. You know, I got the, the two of the worst possible options when it comes to pogroms and people want to kill people. Right, right. So my grandfather came here, set up his life. He's a great guy. You know, he's, he's, he's um, he passed away before I was born, but he did a lot of amazing things. You know, he, he built a life in America and he loved America. And he wouldn't have wished for having to do what they were doing back in the Ukraine to stay alive. That's why he came here. He didn't come here because he, he didn't come here because he didn't want to be killed. He came here because going out every day and dragging bodies back to the village and having to kill people to stay alive is no way to live. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, most of us are less afraid, if we're honest, of our own death than of taking another person's life because that is a responsibility that then you have to carry. Oh, You're dead. Goodness, you don't carry yeah. that. Yeah. You know? So, you know, going, the choir is there because this is a choir that wants to feed people and lift people up. And the other side, they don't even have a choir. You know, they got a, they got a really bad, like, yacht rock band. That's what they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, just doing covers of Huey Lewis tunes and not understanding that Huey was a good guy. <laughs> man oh, you, the the inverse of that like of the the idea oh, so interesting that we're more more afraid of like t- taking someone else's life or having that responsibility than of uh, the end of our own life like i think about that a lot from the other side of bringing a life into the world and like responsibility of of that like people who are parent, yeah. i'm not a parent but i look at people who are parents i'm like damn y'all like that is such an enormous responsibility it's literally the most terrifying moment of your life combined with the most wonderful moment of your life i have a 26 year old son and a 23 year old daughter my father used to tell me my father told me the the famous zen parable where the the father goes to the the house of the the abbot the monk and knocks on the door and he says i can't sleep i haven't been able to sleep for weeks and the monk says why not And he says well i'm gonna die my son's going to die. His son's going to die. His son's son's going to die. And the monk says, would you rather have it a different way? And right there is what happens when you have a child. For the first time in your life, I mean, nobody wants to die. It, it, yeah. You know, it's a scary idea and everything. And, it, and if you're Jewish, you think about it a lot, right? That's the old yeah. joke, yeah. right? You're not Jewish, are you? So um, uh-huh. it, it's it, – it, nobody wants to die but nobody can even imagine living with the death of their child. Uh, that is unimaginable. Only a psychopath can, can, can do that. And so you're right, man. The fear is, the fear is like, and you don't want your kid to go out and have to take a life. You don't want your kid to live that life. Mm. You know, it's, we got these people on the right. They don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. Most of them never served. Most of them never stood in front of somebody had to make that decision. 
You know, most of them weren't even volunteer firemen or, or cops or anything. They never, ever had to make that decision. And all this hubris that comes from them is shameful. Mm. So in case you can tell, I, I don't feel particularly strongly about this. No, no. You, yeah, you've been pretty subtle so far and uh, real subtle on the record, too. Oh, uh, no, not subtle at all. <laughs> well, I, it's interesting kind of tying that into the uh, how the comment you made earlier about, and about, and I think this is true for most songwriters the, the, that I talk to, at least, that like once it's out there, it's out there. Once you make the oh, yeah. work and you put it out there, it's out there, and whatever it is for people is what it's going to be. Have you always felt comfortable with that? idea that like once i've done this thing it's out there it's going to be what it's going to be absolutely but jason to some extent and this is going to sound phony but it's the truth i haven't been successful enough to worry too much about it mm. you know i'm it's not coming back at me like it would come back at me if i was uh ed sheeran mm. you know ed sheeran does running on the razor He's going to have to answer a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, if he does uh, Mossberg Blues, all the gun people are going to pop out and say, what does that song mean? Mm -hmm. You know, but for me, I just kind of float along in this, uh, this, this kind of little world that I'm in. Um, and most of my listeners take are, are pretty serious about the lyrics, which is not common either. So I do have people ask me questions and I do have people come back with very odd interpretations. But I've never had anybody come back with a cynical one, and I've never had anybody come back with one that was so far out there. I was like, what song were you listening to? Mm. I've had people draw conclusions in what I call the Bob Dylan School of Songwriting, which is a guy who figures out a whole bunch of stuff that couldn't possibly be in the song. I've had that happen. <laughs> but it's always interesting what it is. You know, it's like, mm. it's like, oh, that's about a larva. You know, no, <laughs> it couldn't be less about a larva, but okay. Does that make you happy? Good. Yeah. Oh wow, the Bob! I love that the Bob Dylan school of songwriting. Um, well, you know, when I was a kid, I was the same way. I was like looking at Dylan lyrics, going, "Those are pretty obvious, but everybody sees there's more to them." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was always reading way more into. I still read way more into. Them. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he yeah. likes that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, speaking of like uh, not being Ed Sheeran, that there's this kind of time in your life where you sort of stepped away from from music yeah. right like um during that time were you still like were you able to f to feed that create that creative need and that creative outlet you know i don't know i'm not i'm really a guy who the day before disappears almost immediately and the day in front of me doesn't exist mm. um i mean i can plan something obviously i was here a few minutes early but <laughs> i don't think about what's going to happen down the road i just tend to walk through whatever door opens and at the time I was in Nashville and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a story that a lot of people like to tell as if Nashville was a horror show. It wasn't, it was, I met lots of people there. I like, they're nice people, but co-writing doesn't suit me. Mm. Um, and co-writing is a business decision. If you co-write more people get a piece of the pie. If you let people in on the pie, they want to write with you. And then you said the pie starts growing. Um, I, I, with the exception of the songwriter, Craig Bickhart, and we do things, a little oddly, I send him lyrics or, or we kind of do stuff separately and then meet together. With the exception of Craig, um, Angelina Presley from, uh, uh, who, who's like Americana and, uh, and really, really wonderful writer. Uh, mm. it, with, with the exception of those two people, I don't co-write. 
and and I didn't co-write much even with them. So I didn't fit the business model. And it took me about two weeks to figure that out. And I was at a year and a half contract. Mm. And I had a record deal where, not a record deal, I had a public a production deal with Richard Bennett, who did uh, Guitar Town, right? Mm. Steve Rose Guitar Town. Yeah. So we were making a record. And so it's sort of like when you're in the middle of it, you're doing it, you don't pull out. But as soon as it was clear to me, the record wasn't going to be picked up by anybody. And my publisher was only becoming more and more dissatisfied with me. Um, I just decided to pack it in. And I packed it in for two reasons. I packed it in for one thing. I wanted my family life. My father was, mm. my, my father passed away last year. He had a chance in the mid seventies, probably springboarded from years he'd spent rubbing shoulders with all the right people to kind of be a big deal. And his uh, first book won a Lamont award, which is for first book of poetry and really hard to win. And he had a chance to kind of do the New York circuit and the San Francisco circuit and all. But he told my mother, he said, you know, if I do that, I can't watch basketball games at night. Mm. I can't do the things I like to do. So he went back and he taught at the University of Iowa for 44 years. And, you know, a workshop there was a big deal, but he could have been a bigger deal. But he made this choice. I don't like to I don't like that part of it either. I don't I don't handle hanging out at parties very well. I'm kind of I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an introvert in that way. And, and so I want to go home and watch baseball and basketball games. I want to, I mean, I'm a, a huge soccer fan and they now finally I can watch it. So mm. do I want to be not watching champions league? Mm. Ah, shit, man. I want to watch champions league. I can still write songs. So in 1992, 93, when my contract came up with the publisher, I made that decision to go make a living. And I went and worked at a bunch of different, really awful jobs because I don't have a college degree. And then I ended up accidentally in cell phones. And the huh. thing just friggin' blew up in 1995. Cell phones just went through the roof. And I kind of got a free ride there. And I was with Bell South Mobility and ended up um, a market manager down here in Chattanooga and kind of overcame my lack of a college education to get right to where I would have been anyway with a master's. Wow. So for about 19 years, uh, and 13 of those I managed people. I don't know if I replaced the creative part with managing people, but it was so satisfying and enjoyable that I didn't think about it. Oh, wow. um, and I went back to what my, what I used to do, which is sit around, and listen to jazz to relax and, and, and listen to what I really love. And the other reason that I stopped playing was I wasn't writing what I wanted to write and I didn't know why. Wow. And I couldn't fix it. And there were people who really liked what I was doing. I didn't like it. I was struggling with it. I wrote two or three songs in that time period that that still hang around. Um, King of the North, song called I Would Be a Blackbird, but not much more. And I, there was something missing. And what was missing was me getting old and me working in these jobs and me becoming the person that I always wanted to write like and to write about the people I wanted to write like. And I hadn't spent enough time around them. You know, I'd worked my whole life as a, a kind of a grunt worker because I didn't go to college. And, and, and I learned a lot from those people. But once I worked in the corporate world and saw what it takes to be a working guy in the world, then all of a sudden, when, I just, when my wife kind of conned me into playing again, um, I, Don Henry, the songwriter, and my wife were responsible for all of this. You know, so if you're out there going, dude, you should have stayed out of the business. It's their fault. And um, Don Henry took, got, had me come to a show. And I saw, he said, why don't you come out and play a couple songs? I literally hadn't picked up a guitar to play any songs in 13 years. No way. Yeah, I picked up the guitar twice. One time at a, a party at a friend's house where 
this um, ostentatious and pretentious doctor was talking guitars all the time. And I just said, let me see that guitar and ripped off like the fastest thrash shit I ever could do and handed it back to him and said, it's okay. And stopped the whole table went, you know, and, and then one time I was hanging out with one of my managers and I said, Hey, you want to have some fun? And we were right near a guitar center. And I went in and I started to play smoke on the water. At first I kind of detuned the A string and then I played smoke on the water until they made me leave. <laughs> so, I mean, I was just, I was out of it, man. I didn't want to do it, but I, pl- I, I played two songs at Don's show and I sucked. And I was like, man, that's, you suck. You can't sing. You can't play. Yeah, it was weird. I remembered the lyrics, but I, I was like, God, you're bad. And I went home and, and I started thinking, I can't, I just can't, that can't stay. This cannot stand, you know, right out of uh, what, what's the line from uh, Big Lebowski? This uh, aggression this, will not stand, man. Yeah, I was like, this will not stand, man. So I went and started screwing around with the guitar again and my wife kind of caught on. And so I went up to a business business meeting and I came back in the, this closet we had that was big for a closet, but small for a studio with a slanted roof. You can sit in it and stand on half of it. Right. Everything was out of it. And there was a desk, a guitar and a stand, pad of paper. And uh, she said, you got to start doing this again. And I was like, really? I didn't expect that. So I wrote a song called Used Cars, which is actually pretty good. I just never used it. And um, slowly but surely started becoming a beginner again. Started writing songs about what I wanted to write. And then I wrote four albums that are the family man. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Four. Quad. Quad. What would you call mm-hmm. it? I don't know. There's got to be a name. Let's make one it's up. A, it's a it's a four it's a four song sequence. A four four CD four sequence. Yeah, that's what it is. A four pack, and they're all songs for the most part um, about you know getting through the world as a not particularly not, not as a not particularly I don't know. Like it's not an album. It's not an album about thoughts. It's an album about actions. Mm-hmm. The first one, and the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, mm-hmm. and and each one kind of builds on the others. Um, so when I got to this record, I had kind of cleared the cleared the decks. I, I was ready to write something else, and it all just kind of came together. I don't know. I I look at this record, and I think this record is a sort of a summation of ten years of me stumbling my way back into writing. So, wow. you know, and I, and I stand by the other songs, but this thing, there's something it's, it's got that thing where you, you've got, you got the, the, the knife out and you cut everything off uh-huh. and until it was just the thing. So I guess it's my Rodan. I don't know. That's so beautiful. I, I all <laughs> of that's beautiful. I love it. I love all of that. So you, you, you're living in the moment person. You're not thinking about the future necessarily. Can I challenge you a little bit to think about the future though? Are you still in the habit of writing and are you, are you, do you think there's another, another record, you know, in a year or two, or do you even have that written maybe since you've been doing all that work? There's 21 songs that haven't been recorded. Okay. I mean, my father used to say, and I said, my father and I are very similar or we're very similar. And, we both wrote and never thought of writing in the business as the same thing. Mm. You know, you write, if you write, you write, nobody ever sees it. Nobody ever gives a shit about it. You still wrote it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tell my guitar students. I say, you can play that guitar in your room for the rest of your life. A perfectly legitimate way to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. You don't ever have to go on stage, whatever it gives you, it gives you, Mm -hmm. you can write a thousand words every day and never publish them. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now, 
when you want it out there in public, you have to accept the fact that there's a quality bar, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of the things that's happened with the internet is the quality bar has been adjusted a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's a lot of really bad songwriting out there, but it serves the purpose of the person doing the writing. I would never say it to their face. I would never call them out. Yeah. You know, I would say, look, it must mean something to you. I wouldn't put it on YouTube three days after I wrote it when I'd been writing for an entire six weeks, mm-hmm. but you did mm. and you have the right to do it. Mm. So yeah, I write all the time. I'll probably never stop writing. Um, I've got some, it's been a rough year because of my father's passing and, and I'm handling some things, including I'm sort of coming up to where I'm going to have to deal with his literary estate. Mm. And uh, oh. that's a whole nother animal, man. That's yeah. like, I have boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff that may be viable for, you know, the unpublished works of, but, you know, I look at it and go, I'm going to lose a year of that. Mm. And my old man would be like, don't do it. Honest to God. When he, when he was dying, he said to me, just throw all this shit out. I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll throw it all out. You know, I'll throw every bit of it out. Don't worry. I'm burning it now, dad. Um, (laughs) But you know, he was, he didn't want anybody to be inconvenienced and, and, uh, Mm. But there's a lot there. There's a lot of real interesting stuff there. So I've got the 21 songs. Will I write another 20 songs this year? Seems unlikely. But I did write the title track. It is in process of being written right now because it was an unusual year. And I think that it's actually going to be kind of a logical successor to this, this album. Weirdly enough, you know, people, political music is, is a rough sell. Um, and it's a rough sell to the average person because the average person, um, you know, whatever happened in the, in the two or three days of their last life is how they feel, mm. you know, and, and it's hard to find people who think of this Sinclair Lewis. Like it's, I've been, the Sinclair Lewis thing's been mentioned multiple times with this record and I could not be more flattered. Mm. I mean, the jungle is a big part of my, uh, no, that's Upton Sinclair. Upton Sinclair has mm. also been mentioned. So Upton Sinclair. Sinclair Lewis. It's easy at my age to take Sinclair twice there, by the way. <laughs> um, and so I get this, I get this, I get where it's coming from. Um, somebody else said um, that it was the musical Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, Whoa. I read that book when I was 13 and it put me into shock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, once it's so out I, there, man, you can't, you can't yeah, control you it. can't stop it. It's a feel-good record, all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are some feel-good moments, that's for sure. Like there being, are, being, and also being able to say um, "motherfuckers" over and over again is pretty fun. Many, many times, <laughs> we call that infamous track number nine. <laughs> and everyone asks about it. They say, "Well, you know, you did on track number nine. I said, "Yeah, I know it's got going on, not going on the radio." And what I think is really cool is that Aubrey Sellers sang on it. I was just going to mention that we were like, we were like. We can't, we'll never find anybody to sing on this thing. And I knew Aubrey has a, a mutual friend um, uh, of mine, uh, Ethan Ballinger, mm-hmm. you know, who's a stone cold genius. So I sent Ballinger a thing and said, I need somebody to sing on this track. And I sent it to him and I'm waiting for the go to go fuck yourself. Right. But she's not going to ruin her career for this. And I, and I did say in the email, I said, probably not a lot of people will hear it. So, <laughs> but um, so he said, Oh no, man, she really digs it. I was like, and then she killed it. Like yeah. she gave it that little bit of extra Appalachian fuck you sauce mm. that made it even more like, like, it's like, it's like going to an Appalachian town, singing the song, 
And some guy walks up and goes, fuck you. Uh, I mean, that's how the song works, right? So uh, I feel like that, that's your money making opportunity is selling that Appalachian fuck you sauce. <laughs> Dude, you're not kidding, man. Let me write that down. Yeah. Go right, you, you know, if you got the right Scoville scale on it, somebody would buy it. For real, for real. Like, oh, man, this is the hottest hot sauce I ever had, man. Side Appalachian, fuck you. Uh, this is the only thing anyone's going to remember my entire career, man. Hey, but if they remember it, right? And then they'll come People back. People are going to be on like Instagram going, oh, the dude's dead. Remember Appalachian? Fuck you. <laughs> Did you know he was a writer too? <laughs> yeah, you know, the guy had a career. We didn't know yeah. it was just a hot sauce. Because he was yeah. a hot sauce mogul. Yeah, That's funny stuff, man. You so and Aubrey is outstanding on that, and she's just I, I I've never met her, but um, but I have had her uh, collaborating partner Jade Jackson. They've got such a cool uh, project. Jade's been on my show. They and, do, and they've got such a cool thing going. I'm I'm going to Americana Fest, and I'm really excited oh. to, to catch them and hopefully get to meet her. Um, but you've got some incredible voices on here. Uh, in addition to her, you've got Regina McCrary, and you've got the wonderful Patty Griffin on there. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? that? Was, like working with Patty well, Griffin? Like I just I'm sitting with I'm sitting with Frank and I go, listen, man, I know Patty doesn't really sing on other people's records, but she'd be perfect for American Gun. And he goes, Yes, yeah, she would. And Frank knows her. So yeah. one day I'm home, you know, because we're doing everything long distance after that, right? And I'm sure. like, I recorded all the vocals with drummer Alvino Bennett, who's a freak. He's so good. And we recorded that with like two and three takes, nothing more than that. And then I added the harps and my acoustic parts. And then I went home and uh, Frank started working on a record, throwing shit back and forth. Brian Brinkerhoff, the other producer on it, calls me, you know, he texts me one day and I said, hey, did you ever ask Frank about Patty? And I'm expecting, right? Nah. And I'm like, cool with it. Like, sure. She's one of the few songwriters that I just think never got enough attention mm -hmm. I, as much as she got she's a great songwriter um you know that the, there's a couple of lines in there that that song that starts out big chief uh, walking up and down the road that that is like a perfect song that's a hemingway nah you know short story and um so brian sends back the text message oh yeah we're just waiting on her to get the vocals back to us and i'm like wow what'd she sing on american gun he goes yeah and she also sang on uh um to each of us and um a lucky man a lucky man and i was like <laughs> so i go into my wife and i go like hey leslie uh patty griffin's singing on the album and she looks at me and she like doesn't register and she goes oh that's nice and she goes back to doing what she's doing i'm like that's gonna hit her it comes in later and she goes patty dad patty griffin <laughs> yeah i said you know it's nice to be the you know that's that's going to be cool. And they were even better vocals than you could imagine. You know, they, were, they were that thing she does where she's slightly, she's like, it's always there and it's tight, but it's always there. You know, it's her singing. Does yeah. the same thing Emmy Lou does, which is kind of float in a place where, you know, and Aubrey does that too. She sits in a spot where you hear Aubrey Sellers singing, but she doesn't distract from the connectivity. Mm. And then Re Regina McCrary. I mean, if you want sexy, you get a gospel singer, man. <laughs> it's just you know she's on, on retread cadillac i just sat there it takes a lot for me to fall out of a chair and frank sent me that and i was like on the floor literally on the floor going i don't deserve this this is <laughs> this is better than any 
61 year old dude from who grew up in Iowa deserves, you know? So, yeah. And it's just like, they, they made the record to me and it, it, Mm. there's not a lot of background vocals on it. So you really notice it when they pop in. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of that song, retread Cadillac, I I just think that's one of my favorites on the record too. It's one, it's just front to back full of great songs. I mean, every, there's not Mm. one that even sort of misses. Um, but that oh, one, man, that's like, great. the, the sort of the imagery of it, like you, I, you can just picture like lightning Hopkins there with the woman on each arm and the, the whole bit, right? Like the, you really transport the listener to this, this world there. Oh, that's wonderful, man. It's, it's uh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, something that you said earlier, I wanted to return to, and we don't usually talk about like management here but you you kind of like had a little bit of a lightness to your voice almost when you were talking about how you enjoyed managing people and like being a manager and leadership is hard and being a manager is hard and i wonder like you did it for a long time if you if you learned lessons or if you if there's anything oh, yeah. you, can, you know can impart yeah. well my my previous my the the previous full amp band album which i did with uh, missy rain's band uh, and that included ethan and um, Billy Strings, mandolin player right now, and cool. a bunch of cats that could really play. And um, and that record kind of was the record that got me rolling in in Europe and the UK. And uh, it was called I Don't Do This For Love, I Do This For Love. Yeah, yeah. Which was which was really, and it was about working. The whole album's about working. And there's different kinds of love, right? There's what I learned managing people, and I made my share of mistakes. And when the mergers all started in cell phones, things got really weird. And there are people who probably walked out of that company hating my guts because I couldn't do something to make their landing better or their life better. And it, and it tore me up too. I, it actually was one of the hardest times of my life. I had a lot of people work for me in, a, in a, a field where there's a lot of turnover. I didn't have any. And I didn't have any because at the end of the day, people want to work for a company, go home, enjoy their lives. They don't want to have to be devoted to the company. Mm. They don't want to think of the company as their friend. They don't think the company's there for them because let's face it, dude, the company's not there for you. Mm-mm. Not one single company, not your father's company. None of it's fucking there for you. If you're not making the living for those people, you're on your goddamn ass. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I treated them like they were valuable. And I didn't ask them to hang around and do the rah-rah shit. I took a lot of crap for that from corporate, but mm. we made money for them. We were a satellite market. They weren't looking at us most of the time. And when the books came in, we looked good. So, success, success makes things a lot easier. And I had a lot of conversations I didn't want to have with people, but I was able to have them honestly, because we were doing well and they knew the rules. And, you know, it wasn't until the merger started and things start get weird that I would look at it and say that that responsibility became unpleasant. I mean, I was, I guess I was arrogant enough to think I could hold off the corporate guys over here. And and that my duty was to the people who worked for me and made the money that I, that I took home. And, Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of managers like that. It wasn't just me. There's other guys who think that way. So after being around all these people, people who went to work every day, single moms, you know, single moms, I had a lot of single mothers working for me. And the reason that single mothers weren't working for people before was that they couldn't go home and their kid was sick. Well, I'm not stupid. I don't want to have to do their job. So yeah, they can go home when their kid is sick because I don't want to have to replace them every time something goes wrong. It's just selfishness. You know, I want to watch... I want to watch the basketball game at the end of the day. You know, I don't want to be out there covering all the shit that I made miserable. So 
you know, it's, it, I enjoyed it. I saw a lot. I saw people have families while I was there. Cause I was there long enough. I saw people get married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. <laughs> um, I mean, we're near, we're near enough to Gatlinburg that I really did see people get married and divorced. And married <laughs> and um, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful time. And then when I came back to writing, I was on the way out of it. Uh-huh. And, but when I started to write about people, I had all these people I'd met, I knew about their lives and, and their lives were valuable and interesting. And, you know, I will say that I'm one of the few songwriters that writes about work who actually worked for 45 years. Mm. You know, it doesn't happen very often anymore. Mm-hmm. In order to be a songwriter, you got to spend so much time on being a songwriter, being a musician, that you can't work a 40, 45 hour a week job. And I worked 50, 60 hour a week jobs. So when I started writing about these folks, it was coming right from day to day, the language. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an advantage as a writer. Um, for the first time in my life, I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> man, that's great. Nathan, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, we, we usually, it's been fun, man. Yeah, good. I'm glad. We usually end on um, the art that's inspired, what you're getting down on, the art that's inspiring you right now. Like, What are you watching or listening to? Or Right now? Well, yeah. I've been watching Ted Lasso, and I can put up with some of the fact that the football, on, when they have to play it, is terrible and slow, <laughs> because otherwise it's pretty good. And I've been working on I need a chant. I'm going over to Scotland in a week and I need, I need my own chant because, you know, it's like, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where Roy Kent is about as good as it gets. Uh. And I sort of came up with, um, his lyrics are inspiring. No, no, his lyrics are insightful. His music is delightful. Uh, oh, I forgot what the rest of it goes. He's, he's something fucking shameful. And I don't know, <laughs> I can't come up with it, but that's, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, I listen to a ton of jazz. I guess I'm secretly a guy who couldn't play it and really wishes he could. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I, I think too much when I play it. So I've, I've, I've walked away from it in the sense that I could fake it pretty good, mm. but I didn't know I was faking it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I listen to a ton of jazz and right now I'm wearing out my James blood Ulmer records. So do you know who he is? I don't know. Him, no, James blood Ulmer, strangest, strangest caddy. He invented this thing called harmelodic guitar okay. and, it's like Ornette Coleman, but not quite as melodic. Okay. And uh, okay. Okay. and I've been li- and I've also been going back. I ha- I bought the collected forty five singles of Sun Ra, and I've been going through those. And um, I don't tend to listen to songwriters, and that's only because it's what I do, and so I think of it critically. And I don't want to do that. Mm. I- I'd rather show up at a show that I split with them and dig their songs than spend mm. my time listening to them and analyzing why the song works, the song doesn't work. So I live in the jazz world. Um, I'm reading, I always read a lot. Um, I'm kind of going back through like if it's a, if it's a Booker prize book, Mm. you know, I'll jump on it. Um, Uh and I've gone back a little bit to, I got this urge to read Jack London again. Mm. Um, and you know, it's, so that's where I'm at and that, and, you know, picking up heavy objects. (laughs) That's, uh, that's so funny, man. Just call of the wild sitting right next to uh, it can't happen here on the shelf. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, I have every London book in, in another room. This room's been stripped because my mother's coming down to live with us. And this is going to be her her house. Oh, so okay. uh, so I've been spending my time on that process of getting that taken care of and my being my own contractor. And so I got a whole nother album coming up about being a contractor, but it, people would be bored by it because it would just be me yelling fuck at the top of my lungs <laughs> for an hour and a half, like, like performance art or Yoko Ono just unleashed. Uh, 
Fuck! Ah, Appalachian, fuck, fuck you, Zaz! Fuck! Fuck! It's Monday, fuck! It's Tuesday, fuck! The guy showed up without his helper and I have to move everything. Fuck! Yeah, that's, that's, that's the album. Oh, that's great, man. I'm looking forward to the fuck album. and the fuck, fuck album? The fuck, fuck hot fuck, sauce? Fuck, fuck sauce, fuck album. If I do a t-shirt, man, I'll cut you in. Yes, awesome, awesome. You deserve it. Thanks, thanks. Well, dude, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for the record. It's a pleasure. For your time. It's been so great. Well, be my, be my guest if there's any follow-up questions that, that might... He answered more easily without the, the great uh, hilarity we've experienced All in right, cool. All right. I enjoyed it, man, very much. I look I'm forward so to meeting glad. you someday. Likewise. Thank you. Have All a right. night. Be happy, man. Talk to you later. See ya. They weigh less than a few thoughts and prayers when they die underneath the American blue. tribe freezes themselves to the bulldozers. My car starts every morning in the dead of winter. There are people chained to machines everywhere with the American blues. Somebody built a fountain named it the Trail of Tears. Children laugh and run through the water in the sweltering heat. None of us have the heart to tell them the original story of the American blues. We are taking our lives one day at a time. With bullets and useless poetry. Soon we will be burning together in red, white, and American blues. Nathan Bell, y'all. Thank you so much, Nathan. I don't think I've said the word fuck that much on record in my entire life. It felt good. To talk with a like-minded person whose record I respect so much. The song you're hearing in this episode is called American Blues off that same album. NathanBellMusic.com for all things Nathan, including physical copies of Red, White, and American Blues. It can happen here. I'm telling you, listen to the record. Get a copy. It's one of my favorite things I've heard this year. It's, uh, it's one of the records that has excited me unlike much else has in a long time. And um, and that's high praise because there's been a lot of records that I've been fired up about both this year and in recent years. So um, I don't say that lightly. NathanBellMusic.com. The record's called Red, White, and American Blues. It can happen here. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter if Instagram still exists uh, today. Facebook and Instagram went down, so if it continues to exist, follow us over there. If not, no big deal. Please join Twitter if you're not over there anyway. It's better. Give us a follow and a five-star rating on your podcast app. These are all free ways to support the show. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours. We recently dropped a special, Jason's Journey, with singer and songwriter and photographer and podcaster, multi-talented individual Will Payne Harrison. Um, our Patreon, y'all, funds 
a lot. Um, it pays for the overhead for the show, but also, um, for example, I went to Americana Fest in Nashville. I got to meet Will in person. I got to meet Van Plating in person. I got to meet a lot of folks that I had only previously known online, um, in you know, face to face, and I got to see some amazing artists and interview amazing artists. And then this past weekend, I went to Tampa and I got to see some incredible uh, music there, and I'll be writing about it and. Um, I didn't get to catch up with anybody in Gasparilla, but I did take some, some photos and I'll share some stories. So all that's possible because of the Patreon. Um, so if you can swing it, that's awesome. Thank you. Come join us. Plus it's a lot of fun, but above all, regardless, just thank you for listening. It's still free to listen. Spreading the word is free. Um, thank you so much for telling friends about the show. Thank you so much for every retweet or like that you give us, uh, on, on social media sharing stuff on your Instagram stories. Those things make a big difference. Maybe sharing something on Facebook since we're not over there. Uh, Those things make a difference. So thank you so much uh, above all for just listening and spreading the word. All right, y'all, it's time for our review under two, the segment where I review an album, performance, film, some singular creation that is inspiring me at the moment. For a longer list of what I'm getting down on, you can join the Patreon uh, for as little as $2 a month. And uh, each episode, I'll release a longer list of what I'm fired up about. For today, I'm honored to bring you my review under two of Bendigo Fletcher's Americana Fest performance and their record Fits of Laughter, a two-in-one. Louisville, Kentucky is the Istanbul of the South, a town at the crossroads of East and Midwest, a place suited to spawn My Morning Jacket, Muhammad Ali, Hot Browns, and Louisville Sluggers a city proud of its heroes and icons. Louisville is a southern town and a midwestern town. It is country and cosmopolitan, edgy with an insistence on being refined. Above all, Louisville is one of the jewels of Kentucky, a state whose pride in its creative contributions to American culture could never be overinflated. While those icons endure, a new generation carries on the legacy while forging their own trace. In furtherance of that lofty tradition stands Bendigo Fletcher, a band whose music is the feeling of first acceptance after a tough breakup of the promise that a jarring and unexpected decision brings. Bendigo Fletcher's Fits of Laughter is an album drunk with familiar sounds melding in the mind to create the buzz of a sunny Sunday afternoon in the fall. As they take the stage at Americana Fest's 2021 Commonwealth of Kentucky Showcase, a group of 20-somethings makes their way to the front of the crowd. For the next to all too short 30 minutes, they are all of us who have fallen for this band. Ryan Anderson's lyrics spanning from party anthem worthy to ruminations on existence and communing with nature. The sounds from Bendigo Fletcher's tight group of players running through myriad soundscapes to create a sound that is both mature and fresh. King Coomer, who played drums with Uncle Tupelo and early Wilco, produced Fits of Laughter. His influence on the record is clear. Anderson described their partnership as natural. They'd been began working together by talking about the music that they loved. To hear Anderson talk about the process makes it sound like a joy, and joy is the emotion Bendigo Fletcher's fits of laughter evokes. From the 20-something folks dancing and singing every lyric right up front to the music journalists twice their age sporting a grin wide as the Cumberland Gap, Bendigo Fletcher's record Fits of Laughter and their performance at Americana Fest 2021 ignites joy in all who listen. 
All right, y'all, that's my review under two of Bendigo Fletcher's Americana Fest performance and their record Fits of Laughter. Go check them out. Thank all of y'all so much for listening. Thank you again to Nathan Bell for sitting down with us and sharing so much of your time and energy. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.